congratulating you on your return to Twitter where your following is growing and growing. How did that happen? Because he said he wasn't going to have any Holocaust deniers. <clears throat> well, first of all, I'm not a Holocaust denier. And secondly, uh, you know, he's saying things and he's not following through. So uh, Mr. Greenblatt warned him not to let Trump on. And then he let Trump on anyway, after saying that he was going to do everything that the ADL told him to. So I think personally that uh, Elon Musk <clears throat> knows what's going on. He knows that his main opponent right now is the ADL. Uh, and he knows that he has to resist the ADL's form of thought control if he wants to make his platform into anything significant. The crucial issue in America, crucial issue in the world is Jewish control of the discourse. And one of the main things they control is the internet. That is the way people communicate now. And the ADL wants to be there. They want to be have total control and determine who gets to speak and who does not get to speak. And I think uh, that Musk understands that and he's, doing everything he can to oppose it. Now, why do I say that? I, first of all, the general amnesty. It wasn't I alone who just got on. There was a general amnesty of all the people who were banned. Okay, that's significant. But even more significant, that's one pillar of Jewish thought control. It's hate speech. Hate speech has no meaning. It's a term that was created by the ADL basically to stifle any criticism of Jews, anything Jews do. Uh, will get you banned. But that's only one pillar. Just, sorry, Michael, sorry, can I just interrupt, just in case our audience in Ireland doesn't understand ADL, that's the Anti-Defamation League, which is, you explain it, what they the do. Ant the Anti-Defamation League yeah. is uh, the organ of Jewish thought control in the United States um, and throughout the world. Uh, Gemma uh, has been uh, named here, not so much the ADL as the SPLC, the lady who attacked me, Heidi Byrick, is now attacking Gemma. These are people who do not want, they are re reacting to the rise of Logos in our time. People are seeing through all the forms of thought control. They don't work voluntarily anymore. They have to be imposed by force, police force if necessary. And that's precisely what is happening in Ireland right now. They know the consciousness is rising. They feel that they are truth is the opinion of the powerful. They feel they have the levers of power in their hand and they feel that's all we need to have. Well, that's not it's not working that way. It is not working that way. And uh, that's let me get back to that. First pillar of thought control is hate speech. Second pillar of Jewish thought control is pornography, which is the exact opposite. And Twitter was flooded with pornography. Twitter had become, uh, because of lawsuits here against things like Pornhub, Twitter, Twitter had become the main promoter of pornography. Okay, that's one thing. <clears throat> but the, the really insidious part of this is how they promoted pornography. Now, generally, after all these years, you know that if you type on triplex.com or one of these words, you're looking for pornography. That was not the case with Twitter. You could type on the name of a country, for example, and you're, you're, you would be flooded with pornography. You could type in hijab. You're some Muslim girl who's doing a, a paper for school and you're doing research on the hijab and you're going to talk about uh, whether you should wear the hijab or not. You click on that, you will get pornography. 
and the hijab was nothing but pornography, uh, which meant it was uh, psychological warfare waged against Muslims. That's what was going on. All of this changed last week. There was a guy there uh, by the name of Yoel Roth, who was in charge of safety and something or other at Twitter, and he got kicked out. Safe. Or he resigned. He was a, a, a homosexual. Um, he got he as soon as he left, everything changed on Twitter. You could go on Twitter now. You can go on now and you type in the same thing you did before, and you won't find pornography. Pornography is gone. And on top of that, uh, this guy. There were all these stories on the internet. This is an article I just wrote. Uh, it'll be out soon. Uh, all of these um, 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 women, okay, they are, you can monetize your body by going on OnlyFans. And then if you click on OnlyFans, you have to pay money to see the lady naked. Now, before, Twitter would just explode with all these pictures of all these people engaging in outrageous uh, sexual activity. They're gone. So if you type in M-I-L-F, which is a pornographic uh, signature, there are ladies there, but they're all wearing clothes. This is new. This, this, and, 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 well, I think this just shows you Elon Musk's genius, I think, in a way, because they're soliciting they're Twitter is now asking them to pay money for advertising where they have to put up a picture wearing clothes. And if you want to see me naked, you got to go to OnlyFans. So he solved the pornography problem and he created a, a, a revenue stream as well. So this is good. This is a, a significant blow for Jewish uh, thought control. That's wonderful. But things aren't that great over here in Ireland and the European headquarters of Twitter are based in Dublin. And this woman here, we'll call her, <clears throat> I could call her other thing. I could call her other things, but I won't because I asked her to please stop allowing death threats against me on Twitter a few years ago while she was allowing pedophilia and child uh, sex abuse images right, on Twitter. Right, and right. she refused my, my name, my address, my phone number, everything <laughs> was being put on Twitter. She would this not is, stop. This is outrageous. I had to go down. I had to go down to Twitter and I had to sit in that building and ask for her to come and see me so that this uh, doxing of me would stop. But it never did. This woman was head of communications for her, our highly corrupt police force. And before then, she was uh, involved in communications for the police service of Northern Ireland and other highly Corrupt. Basically, they're MI5 CIA right. run. Yeah, or, the, or, the, so, or, or they're Israeli Unit 84. Uh, four, what is it? 8400. Exactly. exactly. Right. So That's she's Google. refusing to go. She's ref and my account has not been reinstated. Well, you should write to Mr. Musk. Is, is he boss or not? He cleaned up in America. This lady is doing what Yoel Roth was doing in America. And he's gone. That's and it's, it's changed. So I don't know. How can the Irish, how can Irish Twitter be different than Twitter when it's owned a privately owned company and Musk is the boss and he cleaned up uh, in America? How is this possible? Well, Mike, I wonder because this woman controls content in all of the EU. So she's incredibly influential. 
don't forget a lot of these companies are broadening their bases here, even though he's firing them left, right and centre. But I mean, Amazon is expanding in Ireland to beat the band. Right. Um, and the, like the pharma companies are expanding. So they see Ireland as right. Well, that's, you know, probably the most corrupt country in, in Europe by a long shot. So we'll get away with our crimes here. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe they're just going to move it all. I, I don't know. Some, some, some would you bring this to Elon Musk's attention because this is clearly, he's clear, this lady is clearly going. Uh, against the rules that have just been, been enforced in America. And I thought they were universal. But there, there's another development here, and that is China. There are big demonstrations in China. And so there's an article in the New York Post today. Uh, the Chinese government intervened in, tweet, in Twitter. Guess what they did? Take a wild guess what the Chinese government just did. Now, wait a minute. Let me let me back up here. Let me uh, let's talk about the demonstrations. These are ostensibly in reaction to covid regulations. Now, what are the Chinese uh, police doing for covid? They are basically locking the Chinese in their apartment buildings. I mean, literally welding the door shut so that these people cannot get out. And then, oh, wait a minute. The building just caught on fire. And the fire department shows up and everybody died because of these uh, people welding the door shut. This is like the uh, the shirt. This is like the sweatshops in New York City where you you bar the door so the girls can't get out and they all die in the fire. This is horrendous. How does the Chinese government react to this? What do they do? You're talking to the man. Who has the explanation for this? I'm getting emails saying, you were right. Guess what they did? Guess what they did? I'm just catching up on it here. Guess what they did in China. No, get me, get me, guess. Tell me. They started broadcasting pornography. Pornography. Oh, there you go. The government, the Chinese government is flooding Chinese Twitter with pornography. This is right out of my uh, libido dominandi. It's the the articles mm-hmm. in the New York Post. You can find it in the New York Post. It just it just appeared. This is people are writing me. You were right. You wrote the book on this. They're doing. They must have read libido dominandi in China. That's exactly what they're doing now, uh, to distract the Chinese from the fact that uh, the government is trying to destroy them all. Will flood the country with pornography. Now I went back to Twitter. And before, if you did hashtag Chinese, you were flooded with pornography. Okay, you do that now, and there's nothing. There's no pornography whatsoever on uh, American Twitter. So this is, we're, we're suddenly seeing the fault lines here in what seems like the Twitter empire, I guess, is, is Musk in charge or not? It seems to me that the Chinese can intervene. This lady in Ireland apparently thinks she's boss, and she's going to tell Trump, uh, uh, Musk what to do. He's, he's in a, a battle. One of the crucial battles of the culture wars right now, which is, can you fight back against the Jewish control of the Internet? There's Is that the New York Post article? Did it come up? There it is. There it is. Chinese on Twitter with porn to hide news of mass protests. Interesting. Just as the Israelis do to the Palestinians. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's the same playbook. And I, I don't I don't think it's going to work. I don't think it's going to work. I think we're we're beyond this. 
we have reached a crucial turning point and it turned in the right direction. So how that plays out in Ireland, I don't know. I don't know. But it's playing out here. It's, and it the seems people are, bizarre. It's, a, it's an American company. Uh, we, have we have free speech in Ireland under our constitution. Not for much longer if these tyrants have their way, but we do <laughs> currently. And why is he adhering to the laws? Why is he adhering to a court injunction in Ireland? It's an American company. So I don't know. Right. But I don't know he's, either. He's, I don't know either. I'll tell you, though, the first reaction I gave, I'm tweeting my normal stuff, you know, about the uh, Jews saying abortion is a fundamental Jewish value, th that type of thing. I got immediately uh, yeah. was told that there were there were complaints coming from Germany. Uh, complaints that were saying this is hate speech. Who is oh, more? Who is more? Coping. Who is more supportive than the German people than E. Michael Jones? Okay, but there's somebody over there who complains. But the interesting thing is basically uh, they reviewed it, and it does not violate Twitter policy. And they also said it does not violate German law. Oh, I've been vindicated. Oh, fantastic. What did you say? What What was it you had said, Mike? Well, it was a lot. Of, there were a number of tweets, but a lot of it, most of them had to do with uh, the Jewish support of abortion. So I said, you know, uh, if if abortion is your is a fundamental value yeah. of your religion, you're not worshiping Yahweh, you're worshiping Moloch. Now, that the ADL jumps all over that. They say that's terrible to say, but it's absolutely true. And I've been vindicated by both Twitter and the German government that said that's not hate speech. Yes, that's that's very that's well, maybe Elon is doing a Kanye, is he? Is he going to join ranks with Kanye now any day? <laughs> he just came out and said he's he was going to vote for. uh, uh DeSantis. If DeSantis runs, he'll vote for him. I think he, he, he understands he understands he has to be his own man. What you have is a situation where the Jew can come in and wreck your business for you. Thank you. I needed that. Look, a classic example is Adidas. Adidas kicks out Kanye. They lose millions of dollars. Kanye uses millions. They lose millions. Who's the beneficiary here? Is this good for business? No. But they, they've established the principle that the Jew can come into your office and say, we want you to do X, even though it will wreck your business, because we're the boss here. And if you don't do it, we'll accuse you of hate speech. That's what's going on. And I think that Musk understands that. And he understands, look, I'm in, I'm in the big leagues now. I'm spending billions of dollars. I can't have these people wrecking my business. It's too, it's too much money. There's too much involved here. I'm not going to let them do this. That's my reading of the situation right now. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it pans out because until he unbans everyone, you know, I mean, as I say, my account, well, I think I was the only high profile person in Ireland that was banned. And I wouldn't be surprised if this woman, Sinead McSweeney, because I, a lot of my work is to do with corruption in the guards. And that's where she comes from is being told you better stay there in order to prevent the reinstatement of Jem O'Dardy's account. But anyway, that's fantastic that you're back on. And uh, everyone, make sure to follow E. Michael Jones. <laughs> your, you've got your followers back as well. 
Um, okay, now I wanted to talk to you just, um, I know you say you're ho- you're not a Holocaust denier, but uh, that's not my understanding, Mike, at all. <laughs> I have to say that's news to me. What would you call yourself? Holocaust scholar. I've written a book. Ah. On, I've written a book on the Holocaust narrative. So what? So okay, let, let's get. What do you mean by the Holocaust? What do you mean by that? You mean that the Jews were well, around? Who were genocided? Let's only talk about the Irish. There was actual Irish. Oh, all right, all right. I understand. Yes, I understand yes. that potato famine. Yes, I understand well, all that type of stuff. But I'm saying specifically, if you want to talk about what happens in Germany during the 1940s. Okay, uh, are you? Uh, am I saying that the Jews uh, did not get rounded up and put into camps like Auschwitz? No, I'm not denying that. I'm not denying that. I'm saying that there is a fundamental, a fundamental difference between categories of the mind and categories of reality. And the fundamental purpose of propaganda is to impose categories of the mind on the reality. So, to give you an example. Eisenhower shows up in in Ordruf. Uh, nobody knows about this camp anymore. And there are dead bodies lying all over the ground. Were there dead bodies there? Of course there were. Is that bad? Is that uh, uh, Yes, of course it is. Were some of them Jews? I don't know who they were, but some of them could have been Jews. I'm not denying any of this. But what I'm saying, uh, I think we have to ask is, how did they die? Because they have come up with the narrative, the Holocaust narratives, come up with various explanations that simply do not hold up uh, under scrutiny. So how did they die in Ordruf, for example? You can see pictures of Eisenhower, Patton, Omar Bradley, the big generals there, all standing around. They're all looking at these uh, bodies. There are no gas chambers in Ordruf. So how did they die? How did they die? Is that, is mm-hmm. that, uh, is that, uh, uh, that's what a scholar will ask. That's not ideological. That's simply a question about the Holocaust, what we're calling about the Holocaust. And then we talk about the political manipulation of these ideas over a period reaching to today, up to the Canadian uh, truckers protest, where suddenly Hong Kong equals Heil Hitler. And you suddenly realize that this has been orchestrated into a form of control that needs to be explicated, explained. That's what we're doing here. Okay, Mike, if you went, if you got a flight to Berlin tonight, what are the chances of you being arrested on arrival? I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I don't run the police department there. I no, don't know. I mean, fairly, let, let, me, let, me, let me give you an example. Uh, Lady Michelle Renouf got uh, uh, basically arrested. I mean, she was going to be put on trial. And she said, "Okay, well, you put me on trial. This is what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about the uh, firebombing of Dresden. I want records brought in about this thing. Last minute, they canceled the trial. They backed down. They did not prosecute Lady Michelle Renouf. So you're talking about <laughs> you can't. I can't. You can't know. The trouble with these laws is you can't know because you don't know whether you broke the law or not because the law is so vague that it, it can be abused and and used." as an excuse to do anything. Do you know about uh, Ursula Havabach? Yeah, Havabach, sure. Sure. I think. So t- tell us about her. She's 93 and she's back in jail. Yeah, she was there. She's, she was, uh, uh, 
if I remember the story correctly, she, obviously she was around at the time. She asked these people about what they saw when they were at Auschwitz. Did you see any gas chambers? And they said, no. And she said, well, th- th- I, I have this testimony from eyewitnesses. Why should I deny that? Why should I deny what I learned on my own? And it's because she refused to uh, deny the known truth. They throw her in jail. And then because she refused to say she's sorry, then they keep they keep uh, putting her back in jail. This is outrageous. This is outrageous. And the They're main, barbarian. The they main, are absolute barbarians. The, the main, the main that's right. Germany. The main victims of this reign of terror are the German people. They are being demonized. They're being thrown in jail uh, because uh, they won't accept the narrative as, as it's been proposed to them. So if the narrative's that important, are we allowed to examine a narrative? I mean, there are books. I quote one at the beginning of the book. I'm saying she wrote a book called The Holocaust Narrative or An Examination of the Holocaust Narrative. A narrative is a group of pieces of literature. And this is what I was trained to do. I have a PhD in American literature. I study literature. This is whole, This is an examination of Holocaust literature. Anne Frank, Ailey Wiesel, Yeshi Kaczynski, uh, ben, uh, Benjamin Vilkomirsky. Uh, I could go all, all the way up, you know, one after another. Uh, Sophie's Choice, William Styron. Am I not allowed to talk about pieces of literature? That's what this book is about. And I'm saying this is not something if you're talking about the narrative these are the things that created that narrative that's what the narrative is and that's what i'm talking about and i'm talking about the effects it had on the german people and the rest of us i mean on on the one hand this is happening but then on the other hand you have situations like this and i was very interested the cover of culture wars that i was showing there a moment ago and i'll come back to it in a minute but um, this is the uh, a reference in the Auschwitz Museum to the honoring of the um, leading doctor, well, Mengele's boss in Auschwitz, in his own hometown in Lower Franconia in Germany. And of course, the Auschwitz Museum are utterly horrified. This is a man called Edward Wirtz. Is it? Wirtz. Wirtz, yeah. And... Far from being an absolute madman, as they've portrayed him, you know, exterminating Jews by the second and effectively working in the gas chambers and doing God knows what, it turns out, explain to us, why is he loved in his own hometown in Germany still? Well, if you, if you go back to that picture, that that picture, uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. So you have the picture okay, of... That? Yep. Yeah, continue. Yeah. yeah, it's coming up now. You have the picture here. This was drawn by one of the inmates at Auschwitz. It might have been a Jew. I'm not sure who drew it. Okay. But this is this is the story of um, on the cover of Culture Wars magazine. So that's Loisa Loisa. That's what they're written up there. It's lice lice. And there is there. There's the doctor and he's stabbing a louse there. What's it? What's at the bottom? Is there any more words at the bottom or is that it? Uh, yeah, there's bacteria. Bacterian, okay, bacteria. 
And then the, the, the angel of Auschwitz is the, the term that he gets. So what is this man? He's a medical doctor. He shows up at Auschwitz. And what does he see? He sees absolutely um, catastrophic hygienic conditions in Auschwitz. And the people are dying because of these hygienic conditions. And so what he does is he does everything within his power. Now, this is not easy to do because we're in wartime and you got to get, uh, you know, trying to get the material. But basically, he cleans up the water system and takes control of the situation by getting rid of lice. The people who died in Auschwitz died of, uh, um, they died of uh, typhus. If you, if you look at the signs on these places, there was, they put up signs there, Lebensgefährlich, Typhus, life, uh, so life and threatening. This is the man who stopped the typhus uh, epidemic and saved the people's lives in Auschwitz. And when he decided he was going to retire, they begged him not to retire, to stay there. Now, uh, when, when is uh, Steven Spielberg going to make uh, this movie? Uh, the answer is he's not going to make this movie. This is a true story which does not fit in to the Holocaust narrative. It's that simple. The narrative determines the truth. The truth doesn't determine the narrative. And so you have a situation where uh, uh, Spielberg, when he did uh, Schindler's List, uh, that's clearly part of this narrative. There's no question about it. Uh, but something had happened along the way. And the problem here is that uh, the, 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 what had happened to the narrative is the Zundel trials in Canada, where they basically got to have a legal forum in which they had to, people like uh, Raoul Hilberg, the father of uh, the historian of, uh, the, of the Holocaust, demanding to, where is the picture of the, um, of the gas chamber? The, the narrative did not survive those trials. And the proof of it is uh, Spielberg's movie Schindler's List. So you got the, by, by now the genre has pretty much uh, been established here. Uh, you got the, got to get the ladies, take your clothes off ladies. That'll make it an R-rated movie. You bring the ladies into the big room with the shower. And what comes out of the shower head? Water. Oh, wait a minute. That makes, uh, does that make Steven Spielberg a Holocaust denier? Isn't gas supposed to come out of that showerhead? Well, no. So what are you going to do? Are you going to prosecute Steven Spielberg? Isn't that Holocaust denial? So what happened? Why what hasn't he and Nissan been arrested in Germany? Because trivializing the Holocaust is a crime in Germany. And that's what they were doing by suggesting that water was coming out of those showers rather than gas. So have they been arrested? <laughs> no, not that I know of. Because they, Sorry, get to determine, they get determined to determine the narrative. So Spielberg is over there yeah. and he's now inundated with people who want to tell their story. So at this point, he creates, one year later, he creates the Shoah Foundation. And the Shoah Foundation is basically to record testimonies. So now thousands, literally thousands of people line up at the tape recorder and they start saying whatever pops into their mind. It was a crucial turning point here because now it's no longer historical research. It's personal testimony. Well, is every personal testimony infallible? No. You have to examine. They, they were saying things that could not have possibly happened. 
You know, like I was examined by Dr. Mengele when I was in Auschwitz. Well, it turns out Mengele wasn't there when you were examined and so on and so forth. This basically, at that point, the narrative became in free fall and anybody could step up and say, uh, this is what happened to me. And they did. That's exactly what happened. So you had a guy by the name of Benjamin Wilkomirsky, and he wrote a book called uh, Fragments. And this is the touching story of a young boy uh, at a time in the Holocaust. And this is what happened to him. Well, first of all, if you know the narrative, you know that Wilkomirsky is simply copying another story, which is basically Yeshi Kaczynski's story, The Painted Bird, which appeared in the late 60s, which had a huge effect on the, uh, the Holocaust narrative. So Wilkomirsky is telling the same story. Uh, he's a Jew from Latvia. He was in the concentration camp. Uh, he was in the Kinderabteilung. He was a children's department. And lo and behold, after the book comes out, there's another girl shows up and she says, I was there with you. And he says, I remember you. This is so touching. It's heartwarming, except it never happened. And not only did it never happen, there is no Benjamin Wilkomirsky. He's a Dutchman. I, I'm, not, I'm sorry, not a Dutchman. He's a Swiss guy by the name of Dosiker, who is a, a illegitimate child of some poor Swiss woman who was raised by other people who made it all up. Made it all up. And at this point, you got Spielberg. I've already told you what Spielberg did. Now you have Debbie Lipstadt coming and creating this new crime called Holocaust denial. This is where it came from. It was on the heels of the Zundel trials. Okay, we, the narrative collapsed at that point. Spielberg admitted it when he had the water come out of the showers. And now Debbie Lipstadt comes along and says, you're going to go to jail if you deny the whole. Well, what do you mean deny the Holocaust? Debbie, I have a question for you. If I say that Benjamin Wilkomirsky is a hoax and a fraud and it never happened, is that Holocaust denial? Well, yes, it is. Before 60 Minutes. That was the turning point. 60 Minutes looked into the story. They got Vilkomirsky on there, uh, explained that he was really Dosecker. The whole thing blew up. And the only one who didn't believe it was Debbie Lipstadt, who continued to <laughs> assign his books and her course. The Italians have a word for this. Non è vero, ma è ben trovato. It's not true, but it's a great story. And that's what the, the Holocaust <laughs> narrative became with Benjamin Vilkomirsky. And it didn't stop there. Then you had Misha. This is a really touching story. This is a nine-year-old girl whose parents were taken to Auschwitz, and she traveled 900 miles across Europe in a pack of wolves to rescue her parents. I mean, it's, un it's unbelievable, isn't it? Well, it is unbelievable because it didn't happen. And on top of that, that her name isn't Misha anyway. She's a Belgian. And she felt bad about her father because when, when she was a child, her father collaborated with the Nazis. And so she made it all up, too. Well, is this part of this is part of the narrative, isn't it? And then there are the Rosenbergs. I believe that's her name. And they're on Oprah. And this he, he's in Auschwitz. And this girl comes and throws him an apple over them. It's touching. And then they met up in Coney Island. And there wasn't a dry eye in, in all of Oprah's audience out there. It was so touching except it was completely made up. It's completely false. 
So am I am I now involved in Holocaust denial because I said Benjamin Vilkomirsky's is really uh, Mr. Dosicker, who's not didn't go didn't come from Lafayette at all? Am I a Holocaust denier because I said Mission did not travel 900 miles across Europe in a pack of wolves? I'll see but you in Mike, court. See you in what? court, honey. See you in court, honey. <laughs> um, it's just mind-boggling, though. What would go through the heads of these people that they would jail a woman who is ninety-three? What, like? I mean, I just can't understand it. How they could be so? And if anyone wants to see some of her work, she there's quite a bit on the Great Bitchute. And um, you can just listen to some of her interviews and that. But I mean, what, like, surely this is going to backfire on them, cases like this, no? Maybe not. You can't go on well, this anyway, way. We're you can't all go on this way forever. You can't go on this way no, forever. We're all racist now. We're all racists now. We're all far right neo Nazis now. We're all Holocaust deniers now. We're all Palestinians now. But don't so, you see? Don't you, know, you see the way that. Don't you see the political use of this? Now, why, why are we going to call Gemma a racist? What's that got to do with Ireland? It's got nothing to do with Ireland. Why are we going to call her uh, an anti-Semite? Any of these things, they have nothing to do with Ireland. This is the Holocaust narrative being imposed on all of us as a form of social control. That's what it is. That's all it is. All it is. And everybody in Ireland should know that. And they should deal with this woman. Elon Musk should fire this woman just to show who's in control of Twitter because he's made the first step over here. Made the first step. Amnesty for all the people that were kicked off because of hate speech and banning pornography. These are the two pillars of Jewish thought control. He's got to follow through here in Ireland. I, I don't know if I've ever told you the story of, and I must have been still on Twitter. It was probably around 2018 or 2019 when I started to first look into the Kalergi <clears throat> plan, which is basically a Jewish plan to wipe out the European races. <coughs> and that's why we're seeing so many of these migrants coming into our countries. But at the first time, I think I mentioned that on Twitter, I was trending all day on Israeli news sites. I couldn't believe it, Mike. I couldn't believe like, and I was being called anti-Semite. And like, this was before I understood the whole game. And I was like on the phone to Jerusalem. What are you doing? I'm a reputable journalist. I'm not an anti-Semite. <laughs> and my, my name, investigative journalist, was going across the top of uh, news sites in Jerusalem, in Israel, the whole day. I couldn't believe I was on the phone for about two hours trying to tell them to stop it. But now I, I think it would be great. I'm sorry, like I don't have that sort of right. They wouldn't touch me. But um, that's Free how publicity. frightened they were. One Irish journalist mentioning the word Kalergi. <coughs> so well, something, it shows how many. Something similar is ha happening in Germany with the. Uh, the Morgenthau plan. That's that's mm -hmm. trending on Twitter. And uh, Princess Gloria von Torn und Taxis 
has talked about it. Uh, she's on Twitter saying that the Greens are now fulfilling the Morgenthau plan. Morgenthau was the Jewish Secretary of Treasury who wanted to exterminate the Germans. There's no question about it. Deindustrialize, starve them to death, and uh, because they have bad DNA. Now, uh, am I? Are we allowed to talk about this? I mean, Princess Gloria, so far as I know, she's not in jail. Uh, this is exactly what we're talking about here. Are you allowed? To, this is in German history books. They know who the Morgans outplant. They know about it. It's called Das Hungerjahr. They nearly starved to death over the winter of 46, 47. That's like that's like uh, Ireland in 1846. That's an interesting uh, dates there. That's interesting. That's it was right. like one. One set, one century later, but it was uh, 46 and 47. Was it 46 and 47 or 45 and 46 in Ireland? 47, 47 1847, really. Right. And that was 100 but, years well, later. The Jews tried to do this to the Germans. I guess I'm feeling it because I'm half German yeah. and half Irish here. There's a kind of symmetry here. Yeah. Uh, there is. There's a, book, there's a book in that. Hmm. That's right. But I'm saying, uh, where are you going to stop? Where are you going to stop? And I think what we're seeing now in China is you can go too far. You can go too far. These are these are people who feel the truth is the opinion of the powerful. They feel that we control Twitter and we control the flow of information. We've been so successful so far with we got abortion in Ireland. We got gay marriage. No one can stop us. And then mm -hmm. suddenly you got all these Chinese on the streets. What are you going to do? You're going to go out and shoot the entire population of China. At a certain point, it stops working. And I'm saying we are at that point. We are at that point. It's stopping. Yep. It's not working. It's not working. And their solution is always when it's not working is more draconian crackdown, more punishment, more uh, banning and so on and so forth. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. And and just actually, I mean, you're you're so right because there was an organic protest that happened in a coastal town in Ireland yesterday, one of the most beautiful villages in Ireland, Carlingford, it's called. And it was very grassroots. It wasn't controlled by any fake or controlled opposition. And um, this was the reaction, actually, that one of the key speakers got when she brought up the fact, Mike, that Irish children now, which is unheard of in this country. Their parents are being asked, do you want your child to make their first Holy Communion or not? The first Holy Communion in Ireland is so, it's a, such a rite of passage for every Irish child. I mean, they love it because of all the attention around it. They get lots of cash, but it's very important as part of their Catholic formation. And this lady brought this up that causes stir as well. They're going into schools now and they're asking the mothers and fathers sending letters home. Do you want your child to make the first communion? What are they talking about? It's a Catholic country. Is there something wrong with them? Yeah. And then, then they're taking they're taking statues out of the church saying they were offending other races. If you don't like our way of living, get on the bus, get on the and get on the boat you got off so she got an absolutely incredible response you could hear her there could you yeah very eloquent yeah no she's a great woman and you know again 
it's great to see that by bringing that up, you know, because people are afraid to mention that, you know, that we're a Catholic country. And it's true. Look, Israel has it's a Jewish state. We're a Catholic state. Right. Our constitution states it. Our constitution's preamble clearly states that the rights outlined in this were given to us by the, the Holy Trinity and cannot be taken by any man. So uh, if you don't like it, leave, go somewhere else. But don't lie and don't pretend that it's not a Catholic country just because the Jews have been in here infiltrating every single organization, mostly the Catholic Church, to try and turn it into some sort of Jewish vassal state. But it is still Catholic, end of story. It's in our genes and it can't be taken out of us. That's the key. It's got, you've got to come back to your Catholic identity. And believe me, that's easy. It's not hard to do. Go to confession. Say you're sorry for what you did. And then you'll, get, you'll regain your power. And then suddenly you'll be on top again. And these, ladies, these people will be driven out. It's not, going to, it's not going to happen without a fight. But uh, so what? So what? It's worth fighting for. It is, it is. And Mike, did you see this story here? Um, this is now the latest attack. It really shows how terrified the state is. Well, the globalists, the cabal are of um, the faith in Ireland and that it is making a comeback. And they want to now start dealing with any religious symbolry that might uh, still remain in state schools. Now, bearing in mind that most school, the vast majority of schools in Ireland were established by the Catholic <laughs> Church for the benefit, as most hospitals were, for the benefit and well-being of the Irish people. Now, needless to say, some of them were infiltrated by very devious, nefarious forces. But by and large, most children had a very positive experience under the nuns and the priests. But now they're absolutely, the Irish Times is shocked at the idea that some of these schools still have graduation masses, symbols from the Catholic faith only, and facilitate visits from Catholic religious representatives. So this all has to end. It has to end. Doesn't it show how terrified they are, Mike, of, of so. Catholicism? Obviously, if you start, if you have to enforce it with law, if you have to enforce it with the police, you're failing. You have failed. You have failed to persuade anyone. The whole point of persuasion is you agree to it and then you impose it on yourself. If they have to do this, they are failing across the board, which is a good sign. That's good. That's good. They're losing control. They definitely are, because what this does is it creates a counterculture. It makes That's people right. feel, well, hang on, you know, why am it this is this being forced upon us? Like if you were their PR advisor, you'd you'd say to them, look, no, don't don't do any of this hate speech. Don't because, you know, what you're doing is you're creating a, a an enemy that is going to be eventually bring you, which will eventually bring you down because people are not going to want this, you know, round down their throats, as right. we say. But they can't help themselves. So the classic example in America was this whole Jonathan Greenblatt going after the basketball player, Kyrie Irving, because he tweeted a link to a movie that Jonathan Greenblatt didn't like. Jonathan, you just blew up the most successful revolutionary movement in American history. 
is called the Black Jewish Alliance. And you blew it up because you don't know where to stop. That's the problem with Jews. That's the problem with rebellion against Logos. You lost all sense of limit. You lost all sense of a natural order of things. And the only order you believe in is the one that you can impose on people from the top. And surprise, surprise, sometimes people don't like it. Sometimes people don't like it when the Jew comes in and tells you, you've got to wreck your business now uh, because Kanye West is uh, guilty of hate speech. So I want, to ca- I want you to cancel your contract, which means you won't sell shoes to these people anymore. They don't understand that. They have overplayed their hand. There's nothing, nothing, no one has done more to create anti-Semitism, if you want to call it that, than Jonathan Greenblatt. And he's done it more, especially among the black community now. And he's done it by overplaying his hand because he doesn't know when to stop. Yeah, it's very hard for them to be calling black people racist. It doesn't really fit the narrative, does it? No, it doesn't. And they were they were like the classic example, the best example of the black Jewish alliance, even if it seemed to have failed in the 60s, was Black Lives Matter and the best vehicle for promoting Black Lives Matter was the NBA. (laughs) So what did he do? He wrecked his own act. He attacked, he exposed the fact that the NBA, 70% of the players are black and 60% of the owners are Jewish. Oh, you mean there's a conflict of interest here? Well, we didn't know that until Jonathan Greenblatt explained it to us. And now they blew up their own operation. This is, Hegel called it the cunning of reason. That's what's happening, and it's up to us to understand it and explain it to people because this is the way it ends, because we don't believe it. The the genius behind sexual liberation as a form of control is that you impose it on yourself, and you don't know that it's a form of control. You just think, uh, that's what I want. Your passion is directing you. Once you have to get to overt political police action, you failed. You ruined your own operation. They should have left it the way it was, but they never can just leave it that way. It's always got to get like one more turn of the screw to more control, and then suddenly you turned it too far. I think that's what happened in China. They've turned it one strip, one turn too far. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think what I wanted to also discuss is, you know, we, we're trying to get the men in Ireland to, to the men have been very feminized and very much weakened, largely because of women becoming such bullies and becoming so masculine themselves, I suppose, and not accepting that they have different role in life to men and wanting to be men, wanting to take on all these masculine <laughs> roles and uh, not understand that their most important role is as a mother and in the home nurturing the next generation. But I suppose trying to restore Catholicism to Ireland is difficult because the men of Ireland want to be out drinking every night. They want to be, you know, looking at porn. They want to be free to have affairs, um, to gamble, you know, their week's wages. And they see Catholicism as because the media have portrayed Catholicism in, in Ireland in the past as authoritarian. And they don't want to give up 
the vice that they've been involved in in order to stand up and start defending the women and children of Ireland. I really think this is key, Mike. They're not willing. They're not willing to give up the the pints every night, the maybe this the few lines of coke, um, the jobs that they have, which are basically building the prison system because they're laying down the 5G. They're building all the homes for the migrants. They're getting great money for that. They're in big pharma making vaccines. They're in big tech, you know, silencing the likes of me. And so they're not willing to give up the good cash in that. And they're just not willing to be men. And I'm trying to say, well, how can we, because we can't do it without the men. We can't. What would you say? Gloria Steinem said, we're becoming the men who let us down. And she, I think she was talking about her father and her father and divorce in that generation of men just uh, walking out of their commitments and ending up uh, being slaves to their passions. And you're weak. Uh, the, the way back is to regain control, rational control of your life by uh, reining in uh, your passions and subjecting them to reason. It's that simple. It's not going to happen. I, I don't, how long does it have to take before you realize you're in a prison? How long does it have to take? Uh, you're going to have to wake up at some point or other. Are you happier now than you were, uh, than your fathers were, or so on and so forth? That that that's the that's the crucial issue. You know, are you willing to th- th- this? One of the things that came out in this whole Kanye thing, especially the Dave uh, Chappelle monologue on Saturday Night Live, was the symbolic nature of the golden chain. He talked about uh, you know all these rappers; they all wear gold chains. And he said uh, at one point he was at a concert and there was uh, Kanye was there and all these other rappers. And he said, he said, uh, only only millionaires wear gold chains. And he said, I'm a billionaire and I don't have to wear my money on my body. And uh, it's made a big impression on Dave Chappelle. And he said he put put his chain away at that point. Okay, but he didn't what he didn't explicate was. The symbolism of the golden chain. It's a chain, which means you're a slave. But it's a gold chain, which means you make lots of money drawing other people into slavery. And Kanye woke up to that fact. He understood what he was doing because he's a Christian. And he understood that uh, it was servitude. No matter how many gold chains he had, it was still servitude because he had to do whatever the Jew told him to do, including this personal trainer who was going to shoot him up with drugs and institutionalize him if he didn't didn't do what he was told. So the whole, so the end of the monologue, uh, Dave Chappelle says, uh, put on, put on your chain, nigga. Put your chain back on. That's the whole point. And he's not going to do it. Put your chain on. We'll pay you a lot of money if you do exactly what you're told and don't question any of our control over your life. We'll let you have uh, as many, you know, screw as many women as you want, you know, anything. You'll be bulletproof. You'll be immune as long as you do what you we tell you to do. And it just wore on him. Even if it's gold, it's still a chain. Well, the Irish are going to have to contemplate that because they don't even have gold chains in Ireland. What do you have? <laughs> What do you have? It's not gold, I guarantee you that, but it's chains for sure. It's big pharma sweeties down the neck every night and shut up. 
and it's, you know, mass media in their heads, dumbing them down, dumbing them down. You know, we, we now have, my Mike, you have, I mean, it came from America, but it's the Jewish Christmas. And it begins in late October. Well, it usually now begins before the demonic feast of Halloween. And um, it starts with these really just crass Christmas songs. And it's the biggest consumer fest, as you know. I mean, it's an American thing. It's a Jewish thing. And they're laughing at Catholic countries like ours that embrace this, uh, have people running around like absolute lunatics in November talking about, are you are you all set for Christmas? Are you all ready for Christmas? And wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, it's, 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 called, the, it's called it's called it's called Advent. It's called Advent, fellas. Exactly. Advent. What they abolished Advent. They took over Christmas and they abolished Advent. And it was it was a Jewish operation. I said I said at one point that uh, uh, the Jews created Christmas, uh, especially the music. And uh, Irving Berlin wrote uh, White Christmas probably the most popular song ever sold more records. And then he wrote uh, Easter parade. And I said, uh, Irving Berlin dechristed Easter and he dechristed Christmas. And of course I was immediately attacked as an anti-Semite for saying that. And then I came back and I said, wait a minute, I didn't say that. Philip Roth said that is Philip Roth an anti-Semite because he talked about Irving Berlin taking over Christmas, the Jewish takeover of Christmas. No, then you, they, they all go silent at that point. Suddenly everybody drops out of the comm box. Let's move on to the next topic, you know, but that's true. That's what happened. And so, you know, we all have nostalgia uh, for our children, you know, Christmas in department stores, but that wasn't Christmas. That was Jewish. I mean, the, 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 the Thanksgiving day parade, in New York, there was one in Philadelphia, uh, but uh, the high point of the Thanksgiving Day Parade was to have the fire engine put up that big ladder, and Santa Claus would climb up that ladder and climb in the window to the toy department at Macy's, and you're supposed to rush in after him and start buying toys from this Jewish uh, retail outlet. Well, you know, those, that's gone. I mean, we all have fond memories of childhood, but that wasn't Christmas. So in, in many ways, God is doing us a favor by getting rid of all of these uh, externalities and then uh, giving us instead Santa Inc., uh, which I talked about last year, which is basically Sarah Silverman uh, ridiculing Christ. That's what we got. Yeah. That's what we got. If you like that, uh, uh, you know, maybe you don't like it anymore. Maybe you're going to wake up and you realize uh, I didn't even get a gold chain. I got a chain and it's not even gold. So I'm, I'm worse off than Kanye. This is a bad deal. <laughs> I'm going back to the original agreement. I've had it. That's what's got to happen in Ireland. You'd hope so. I mean, when you think the most beautiful Christian music is Christmas music. And I know you mentioned Messiah and I used to be in a choir where we sang Messiah every every year in the National Concert Hall. And there is no more beautiful piece of music written about the life of Christ than Messiah, even if it was written by Protestant. It premiered, it premiered people, in Ireland. It premiered in Ireland, by the way. It did in Fawn Fish Amble Street. That's, First performance that's right, was in yes, Ireland. It, 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 yeah. And... You know, when people, they feel removed from their Christian Catholic faith, if they were to just sit and listen, have Messiah on 
every day over the next few weeks. And believe you me, something will happen to you because it is the most beautiful work. It's so calming and it's just, it reconnects you with, with Christ. And that's brings us to your book, you know, the, the dangers of beauty, but you speak a lot about how music can bring us closer to the truth because right. anything beautiful brings I, us to I, the I, truth. I just did earlier, earlier today, I just did an interview with a Protestant who's wanted to talk about the dangers of beauty and, and uh, asked me what he could do, what practical, let's talk about practical things. And I said, you should, uh, 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 what about, was it a sin to listen to the Beatles? This is a type of, uh, atmosphere this kid grew up in in a Protestant kind of Protestant f- family, and I said, "Well, mm. no, probably, probably not. But venial sin, maybe. Okay, it depends on which Beatles song. Uh, uh, get me get back. But what I said was, uh, you have to reconnect to the basis of music, which is always ethnic. And so I said, play Irish music. There's a million Irish tunes out there, and a three year old can play them on a tin whistle, and then you'll introduce logos." This is the beauty of music. It's not, it's not complicated. It's not a complicated piece like the Messiah, but it still has that order and beauty to it that melody has and has a way of ordering your soul. And I said, you can also go beyond that and you can take the kids and have them dance in the Nutcracker. These are practical things that you can do because they're beauty. They're both beautiful yes. in different ways and they both lead you to that transcendental realm where everything is organized and as I said before, the artist can sometimes portray what the philosopher cannot explain. That's the whole mm-hmm. point of this book. Whole point of the book. Thank you for holding it up. It's available at culturewars.com. And, 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 I, the- and there's still- Go ahead. I was just going to say there's still time, isn't there, to order it for Absolutely. Christmas if anyone wanted to get it as a Christmas gift. It's really, really magnificent. We are going to do our presentation, I hope, before Christmas on it. And you're going to explain uh, some of the work, some of the painting in it. And just to summarize it for us, Mike. Beauty is imitation of you nature. there? Yes. Yeah. Beauty is imitation of nature. Beauty is a transcendental. Transcendentals are the good, the true, and the beautiful. And oftentimes... Beauty is the only thing that can lead you to God. And I know this from my own experience in life, you know, when I was an apostate and then listened to the Messiah, which is exactly the Messiah that got me out of my chair and took me to the door of the church. I, I didn't go in at that point, but it pointed me in the right direction. And that's why beauty is important. Uh, we live in a, a world that gets uglier by the day. Uh, the patrimony of beauty is being destroyed by the same people who are destroying our the moral and intellectual patrimony of our countries. This is important to know. And this is an explanation of aesthetics. It's a book on aesthetics and it's the course on aesthetics that you'll never get at a university anymore. It's impossible. Yeah. That tradition has died out at universities. This book would be burnt in universities. If it was, a, you know, that it, it would be banned which is horrific, but um, it's a fantastic introduction to your work in general and what your message is. And it will bring people back, I think, to God 
indirectly. Um, but as you say, like it's just, you know, people should just walk away from the commercialization of of the next few weeks and and stand up to it as well and say, look, you know, what this is not Christmas. No. It's just pure greed. Was this was this the cunning of reason that Amazon destroyed department stores? And when they destroyed department stores, they destroyed the commercialization of Christmas. I, I can see that as the cunning of reason. Because mm-hmm. now it's it's back to well, what it was supposed to be. Jesus Christ being born, the incarnation, turning point in history. No more department stores. Yeah. No more Santa Claus in department stores. So, so finally, what would you say to the the men of Ireland for Advent, which began yesterday with the most powerful reading and gospel about putting on the armor of God and disengaging from lust and promiscuity? I mean, the words are so clear, aren't they, Mike? Yes. Sleepers awake. Sleepers awake. Tell every Irishman watching this program to go on to YouTube and type in Sleepers Awake by Bach. Because that's the that's the passage that was in the epistle from St. Paul. You you are now in a dark era and you need to awake. And beauty can wake you up to that transcendental realm that you've turned away from because of you followed your passions and the devil's empty promises. And you can feel it. You can feel it because that's part of the emotion that is packed into this piece of music. And that's the story. That's the story. Sleepers awake. It's time to wake up. It's dark. Uh, You need a savior. We need a Messiah because we can't do it on our own. We tried that and we failed. You're not going to be able to do it on your own, but you've got it easier than a lot of people all over the world because you know where to go. You know where the church is. It's right down the street. You you know how to go to confession because you were trained to do that as a child. And people are doing it now. And they're telling me, they're writing back to me and telling me how they turned their lives around. This is not me making this up. This is the ancient tradition that you accepted, your forebears accepted when they accepted St. Patrick. It's not That's new. It. It's not new. Yep. There's, there's no other Thanks. explanation. You know, this is it. Either you get with it or you're lost. It's that simple. And you cannot, there's a lot of these Catholics now today, I notice, that think they can do without the sacraments. You cannot do without them. You cannot do without them. It's, you know, it's, it, I, I just can't stress it enough. No matter what your priest is saying from the altar, even if he's talking about refugees and climate change and gay stuff, it doesn't matter. His hands are are ordained. Receive the Eucharist from him and it will heal you. But the sacraments are a fundamental part of our Catholic tradition. They work work ex opere operato. So even if he's a a wicked man, even if he's an idiot, uh, that doesn't impede the sacramental transmission of grace, which is the reason for the Catholic Church. Exactly. Wonderful. Fidelitypress.org, culturewars.com to order Dr. E. Michael Jones' books. 
Dangers of Beauty. Logos Rising is another wonderful one for especially for young people, for millennials who are turning back to God, are starting to question the world that they're being reared in, have been reared in and are becoming adults in. And then the Jewish revolutionary spirit to understand our controllers and how we can make it end. So thank you so much again, Mike, for joining me. I let you go because I know you have a busy week ahead. Yes. And thank you. Thank you, Gemma. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise. God bless. Good night. Good night, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.